All right, so we're continuing through Genesis chapter 27 this morning. Continuing on in this uh, sad Shakespearean tragedy that wasn't fiction. It's real, actually happened, but it's a really sad story here of, uh, of the decline of uh, Isaac and Rebekah's family. Yet through it all, God is glorified because what God said was going to happen happens. They just didn't have to go to all this extra uh, theatrics to bring it about. So last Sunday, of course, you remember we looked at Isaac, who was over 100 years old, possibly at that time, maybe even 130 some odd years old. He was in physical decline. His, uh, he was blind, basically. It says his sight was dim. But he was also in spiritual decline because he had forsaken, in a sense, God's promises and was trying to sidestep them. He was going to give the blessing to Esau, even though God said it was going to be going to Jacob. So he was seemingly trying to undermine or thwart or sidestep God's will. Uh, and of course, that didn't, well, that's not going to work out. Uh, Jacob is supposed to re- receive the covenant blessing. Esau disqualified himself uh, for many different reasons, uh, mainly because God said it was going to be Jacob. But Esau had taken heathen wives, he had despised his birthright. But, you know, Isaac wanted to give the blessing to Esau anyway. He was being disobedient in that sense to God's promises, and he sneakingly tries to do it, right? He, he's going to go behind everyone's back, hopefully that they aren't paying attention, knowing that probably Rebecca wouldn't approve of this, so he tried to do it quick before she notices, right? <clears throat> and as I said, no one in this household seems to trust anyone else. Uh, so we're going to pick up this morning in verse 5. We're going to start in verse 5. We're going to go through verse 17. And as we, we read this verse last week as well, and that you remember, Rebecca overhears, overhears what Isaac is planning to do, overhears what Isaac says to, to Esau, and she has a plan of her own all ready to go, <laughs> right? a plan of her own to deceive Isaac and have him give the blessing to Jacob instead. Like I said, it's, it's a real sad story, really, when you think about it. There's uh, all four of them, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, they didn't trust each other. And worse, they didn't trust the Lord. And each one of them schemed and plotted against each other and against God. And there's a quote by Spurgeon that says, the whole story reflects no credit upon any of the persons concerned, which really just means that no one comes out of this looking like they're in the right, right? No one is spotless. No one acted uh, in faith. No one followed God's word and what was happening in this. So we're just watching it unravel. And this morning, we're going to look at it through the eyes of Rebecca. Last week was Isaac. This week will be Rebecca. So I'm going to start in verse 5 of chapter 27 of Genesis. It says, Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau, So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare for them, from them, delicious food for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies." But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. 
Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and he took them and he brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house. And he put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for these words, and we just pray, Lord, that you just speak them to us. There's such a, a picture in this chapter for us to learn from, a picture in, in many cases of what not to do and how not to behave and how to trust the Lord instead of trusting ourselves, instead of trusting in man, instead of trusting in our own senses, just to rely on the Lord in faith. We pray, Lord, that we can apply this and we continue to live by it and grow by it. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys know that poem, right? It says, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. I wonder when the scheming started in this family, to be quite frank. We kind of talked, touched on it last week. They had such a good beginning. Right? This was a marriage between Isaac and Rebecca, the marriage that was made in heaven. And it would seem that they, when they were early on in the marriage, they, they both sought the Lord out when they had questions about things. They, they both stepped out in faith and were growing in faith in their relationship with the Lord. But somewhere along the line, things started unraveling. And they started scheming. And I don't know when it started. I mean, we saw our first small picture of it when Jacob tricked Esau into selling him his birthright. Right? Jacob was buying something, as Martin Luther says, Jacob was buying something that was already his and Esau was selling something that didn't belong to him. But I don't know that that was the beginnings, the, the seed had been planted earlier than that. Whenever the seed was planted, it seems to, to run in the family, right? Even in Rebecca's family, as we'll see later, um, they seem to have this scheming uh, in her family as well. They weren't living by faith because faith is living without scheming, as the quote goes. Uh, and the obedience of faith, for example, was the hallmark of Abraham's life. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but being obedient to God's word and God's will was a hallmark of, of Abraham's life. And what we see here seems to be the absence of obedient faith. And that just brings trouble. It's just bringing trouble to the family of Isaac and Rebekah and to Jacob and Esau. And it's, and it's going to run on down because this same little nasty seed that, that's in there, the seed that's causing them to lie and deceive and trick each other, will go on down through Jacob. Jacob himself will get deceived and then uh, and tricked. And then, of course, Jacob, Jacob's sons later will deceive him and trick him as well. So it just continues on down. But we want to rewind because we're going to do this through looking at Rebecca. And remember, when we first met Rebecca, I told you that her name in the Hebrew, which is Rivka, means ensnarer. Right. Some translate her name a, a tie rope for animals or a noose. And what it means is, is that she catches others in traps. Right? She entangles others. Often they, they relate that to her beauty. She entangles others with her beauty. Men are snared or bound by her when they see her because of her beauty. Well, we're sort of seeing that side of her nature here. Right? 
But it tells us in verse 5 that Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. The idea is, is that she was listening in on the conversation. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that she was purposefully spying, but she was, she was around, she was there, she was outside the tent, she was outside the window, she was wherever she was, she could hear the conversation, and instead of just ignoring it and going on her daily work or not paying attention, she listened to what was being said. She heard exactly what was being said. Now, we just watched that Christmas classic the other night, White Christmas with Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Right? And when they go to the inn, and they realize that the inn is run by the general, their general from the war, and he's in a little bit of you know, financial need, and they're going to like bring their show uh, to the inn and put the show on to help bring business for the inn and, and stuff like that. So they call back and I think it's Bing Crosby who calls back and he gets all the guys like, get everyone on the train and get them down here and we're going to bring the show down here and everything like that, right? You've probably seen the movie. And he comes out and the housekeeper comes up to him right after he gets off the phone. She goes, I think bringing your show up here is just one of the nicest things, you know? And he's like, how did you know? How did you know? And she says, well, like any decent self-respecting housekeeper, I listened in on the other line, right? <laughs> And that's kind of, you know, what Rebecca was doing, right? There was a conversation going on between Isaac and, and Esau, and Rebecca was listening in on the other line. Right? And she hatches a plan. Now, this is premeditated. This just didn't, this is premeditated. Why do I say that? Because she didn't hesitate. As soon as she hears that Isaac wants to give the blessing to Esau, everything that she needs to put this plan into motion, she already has. She has it all set aside. She knows exactly what she's going to do, and she knows exactly how she's going to do it, and all, everything, you know, all the little Mission Impossible tricks that she needs, she's got ready to go. So she was ready. She had this up her sleeve. She was saving this for a rainy day, and now the day has come, and she's ready to, you know, she's ready to hatch this plan. Now, to give her a little credit, we're not picking on Rebecca. Rebecca is a godly woman, just as Isaac was a godly man. I have no doubt that she thinks that she's doing this to help God. Remember, God told her, God gave her, right? She, she called out to the Lord, what's going on with these twins in my womb? What's going on with these babies? And God told her, hey, you got two nations inside of you that are going to be in conflict with each other. And the older is going to serve the younger. And he laid it out for her, and she knew the promise already. And so when she hears Esau say that he wants to, sorry, Isaac, when she hears Isaac say that he wants, she wa he wants to give the blessing to Esau, she's like, that's not what God said. Right? God said that, that the older was going to serve the younger, the blessing needs to go to Jacob. So I have no doubt that she assumes that she's helping God out here. Just as Abraham and Sarah assume that they're helping God out. When, you know, when Sarah tells Abraham, go ahead, marry Hagar. And I think the child of promise is supposed to come that way. Right? She might even think that by doing this, she's going to help Isaac see the error of his ways. That's not what God said. That's not what God promised Isaac. You're, you're, you're veering away from God's word here and I got a plan, right? I got a plan. I got a plan to, to I got, we're going to trick Isaac into giving the, the blessing to Jacob and Isaac's going to see the error of his ways. And, you know, she might've even thought that who knows, right? But this is, you know, probably what went through her head is she says that God told me that the older 
was going to serve the younger, right? So that Esau was going to serve Jacob. And over my dead body, that is what's going to happen, right? So, right, there's a quote by Spurgeon that says, good men have gone wrong, very wrong, when they thought, when they have thought of aiding in the fulfillment of promises and prophecies. See how Rebecca erred in trying to get the promised blessing for Jacob. We had better leave the Lord's decrees in the Lord's hands, right? Leave the Lord's decrees in the Lord's hands. God doesn't need help in that sense. What he promises, he fulfills. He is faithful. He is faith. His faithfulness is consistent and it's steadfast, right? Even when things seem unfair, because trust me, life is unfair, right? Our kids tell us all the time, that's not fair. And we tell them that's true, right? Life isn't fair. And I'm sure that Rebecca was thinking that right at this moment or something similar. This isn't fair. Esau can't, can't get the blessing. Jacob's supposed to have it. Right? Esau's nothing but a pain for us. He's caused nothing but trouble in our spirit. He's married those heathen women and he sold off his birthright. He's, he doesn't deserve it. This isn't fair. Esau can't get the blessing. Right? But when things get unfair, we often tend to get frantic. We start looking for ways to balance it out somehow and to make things fair. Oh no, what are we going to do? This isn't fair. We got to do something. We got to do something. But when we get frantic, then we often do stupid things that we don't need to do. Here's the thing though. God is faithful even when life isn't fair. Right? Even when life doesn't seem fair. Deuteronomy 31.8 tells us, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's something that we need to remember as we continue to walk in our relationship with the Lord and just continue to live day by day. When life doesn't seem fair, don't forget it's the Lord that goes before you. Right? He hasn't forsaken you. He has not left you. He is with you. So yes, life doesn't seem fair, but where's the Lord? With you. Right? He's with you. He's going through He's going through this with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it tells us that even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So He's faithful to His promises, even when we struggle with them even when we struggle with things that don't seem fair, even when we're trying to help God out in things that we don't need to help God out with. Right? And here's the thing, if you haven't thought about it, let's assume this went a completely different way. Right? I don't care how you want to play it. Maybe Isaac said, you know what? I'm going to give the blessing to Esau. Maybe this will help Esau. Maybe Esau has felt that he's been shortchanged and nothing's been fair to him, so I'm going to give him the blessing. Maybe it'll bring him back to the Lord. You know? However you want to put this, you know, maybe Esau said, I know that God said that the that the older was going to serve the younger, but I'm giving the blessing to Esau anyway. I don't care. And Rebecca said, Okay, fine. Go ahead. Right? Maybe they were on the same page. Maybe Rebecca didn't overhear what Isaac said, and Isaac got away with it, and he gives the blessing to Esau. Maybe Esau never sold his birthright to Jacob. Maybe when Jacob said, well, tell you what, sell me your birthright for this bowl of soup because you're so famished and hungry. And Esau says, no, go jump off a cliff. I ain't selling you my birthright for your lousy bowl of soup, right? Maybe it all played out that way. Would that, messed up, would that have messed up God's promises? No, it wouldn't have messed up a thing. Right? If everything had gone the opposite of how it did, it would not have changed the thing because the promise that God made he would stay faithful to, regardless of what man did. 
right? God will never recognize the blessing to Esau, and he would really never recognize Esau's birthright either in that, in that, you know, in that way. Just as he didn't recognize the marriage between Abraham and Hagar, right? The promise for Abraham came through, was for Abraham and Sarah. That's the marriage that God recognized. The promise here is for Jacob, and it's not for Esau. So even if the family had given Esau everything and given him the and he had his birthright and he got the blessing and and Isaac gave him all the fortunes and everything like that, just like a firstborn should probably have, it wouldn't have made a difference because the promise was for Jacob. And nothing was going to change that. Nothing. You can't change that. So no matter how things played out, no matter what Isaac and Rebekah did, scheming or no scheming, right, God would fulfill his promise exactly as he ordained it to be. And that's something that Rebecca should have known. And that's something that Isaac should have known. It didn't matter. These games don't do anything. Matter of fact, the only people who really are getting hurt by all their scheming and their deceiving and their lies is themselves. Right? They're hurting their relationship with their family. They're hurting their relationship with their kids. There's divisions being caused. And it's going to, like I said, trickle on down generations. So they're hurting themselves because they weren't walking by faith, they were walking by sight. I mean, Isaac was going by what he could feel and sense because he was blind. Right? Rebecca was in fear of Jacob losing what had been promised to him by God. She was afraid, oh no, Jacob's not going to get it. As if somehow Isaac could change God's promise by giving the blessing to Esau. It's just not going to happen. Right? So she has a plan up her sleeve, right? She has this plan. It's been sitting on the shelf, and now she can use it, right? It's an audacious plan, really. It is. It's a Mission Impossible type of plan. You know, in Mission Impossible, they have that, you know, that printer, that 3D printer thing machine that they carry around with them that can print faces, right? And they can just pull it out and put on a fake face and pretend to be someone else, and they put on that little voice thing. That's what, that's what Jacob needed. That's the only thing he didn't have was a little voice thing so he could sound like Esau, right? So it's that kind of a thing. She's like, you're not going to lose your promise. I 100% know that we can fool your father into thinking that you're Esau. He's, he's in decline. He can't see. He's old and he's frail. He's blind. Not only that, he's spiritually blind. He's trying to give the blessing to Esau when you're supposed to have it. We can, we can trick him. We can take advantage of his decline and you'll get the blessing. So as soon as Esau hunts out, you know, runs out to start hunting for game, Rebecca calls Jacob over and she says, okay, this is what I heard and this is, this is the plan, right? She goes, I heard your father speak. I heard your father speak. <clears throat> and she says, your father said he was going to bless Esau. He'd sent Esau out to get food. He wants to bless him before he dies. So she says, son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare for them delicious, from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat that he will bless you before he dies. Which kind of gives us a picture that she could make the meal exactly as well, as exactly as Esau made it. Isaac's not going to know the difference between the meal she prepares and the meal Esau prepares. What Isaac really liked was the fact that Esau went out hunting and got the food himself for him. You know, it was a special thing. So she pulls him in. And this is one of the worst things that she does. 
right? Yes, she has this whole scheming idea of how she's going to trick Isaac and, and everything like that, but, but she pulls her son into it, right? She pulls her son in to join along with her in this scheming and, and this deception. She says, come join me. Let's trick your father, right? You know, in Proverbs 22, 6, when it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is not what it's talking about, right? This is not how you're to be training up your children to follow you. Now, I, you know, you don't train up your children to follow in your footsteps of sin. You're not supposed to anyway, right? You don't train up your children to be deceivers and schemers, right? You don't train them up that way. You want to train them in something? Train them to be servants of all, right? Train them up to follow the Lord. Train them up so that when they come into situations like this, they don't try to trick their way through it or pull off some sort of scheme. They seek the Lord's will. They seek out the Lord in these things. That's how you train them up, right? So you want to know where that seed was planted. I think one could make the argument that Rebecca had trained Jacob up in these ways. That this was planted when they were much younger. I mean, Jacob here is at least 40 years old, if not in his 70s, depending on the age of Isaac. So he's not just a young kid who's ignorant of things. So, so I think that she had already trained him up this way. Part of the, way, part of the reason that Jacob could uh, trick Esau into selling his birthright was because he had learned these things somehow from someone. And he was his mom's favorite son, so I'm, you know, I think one could make the argument that Rebecca had already trained Jacob up in this way. It was because of his mom's influence in his life. Like I said, no one seems to trust anyone in this family, so who knows how long this scheming had been going on? Who knows how long that they had been playing games this way in between each other? And so you might have thought that Jacob would say, uh, Mom? This doesn't seem like a really smart idea. Maybe we should go to the Lord about this. I mean, the Lord promised. You know, you've told me what the Lord's promise was. It's, you know, maybe we should seek the Lord. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Let's pray on this. Let's seek his will out for this. We don't need to trick Dad. We don't need to trick my father. But that's not his response, which shows that he's kind of, in a sense, his heart's been turned away from things for a while now. He doesn't say that. He says, all right, well, are you sure it's going to work? Because I'm not as hairy as Esau, right? My brother Esau is a hairy man. So you think we can pull it off? I mean, that's the 11th commandment, right? Thou shalt not get caught. So you think we can pull this off? Now, Rebecca is not in the, you know, is, is not in the motherly role that she should be here, right? And in her sin, she's, she's either already led Jacob astray earlier, or she's leading Jacob astray now. And, and she has already, you know, so she's already deceived Jacob, or is now deceiving Jacob, so that they can go then and deceive Isaac. And like I said, the consequences of these actions are going to have serious ramifications later on. This is the last she sees of her son, Jacob. I mean, she has to send him away to protect his life because of what happens here. She never gets to see him again. That's not what she wanted, I'm pretty sure. That's what happened. Right? 
So that, there's ramifications to it. And obviously, if they get caught, right, they risk dividing the family and alienating both Isaac and Esau. I mean, and though it seemed that no one trusted anyone anyway, and in a sense, they're, they're playing favorites. Isaac's favorite was Esau, and Rebekah's favorite was Jacob. And that seemed to be a division within the family already anyway. But it would only get worse right, if they got caught in the middle of this. And, you know, spoiler alert, hashtag spoiler alert, they do get caught. They just get caught after the fact, right? And here's, and here's the problem with, with Jacob's response and even with, with Rebekah's. Because it starts with Rebekah. The problem is, when we're willing to abandon the question of right or wrong, and our only concern is, you know, what works or will we get caught, right? Then, then we're agreeing with a, a philosophy called pragmatism, okay? Uh, and many people, and we kind of talked about this last week, but many people belong, many people believe in this today. Many people in the church, sadly, believe in pragmatism. And uh, it's a philosophy that is just summarized easily or simply by the phrase, whatever works, okay? Whatever works. The central idea of pragmatism is that truth is proved by whether or not the idea in question works, quote unquote, meaning it produces the expected or the desired results that you're looking for. The problem is, is that pragmatism is not a test for what is true, right? It leads to wrong conclusions due to our limited knowledge, and it also erodes morality. Very similar to what we talked about last Sunday, you know, in the sense that the idea is if it feels good, it must be good. Well, that, you can't judge things that way, right? Whatever works, uh, no. Right? It doesn't, no. It's just the wrong way to approach things. You can't determine what is morally right pragmatically because it just becomes a means to excuse one's own moral preferences to the detriment of others. Pragmatism is really just relativism, right? Meaning whatever I say is right. Whatever I want to believe is right is right. Proverbs 14.12, though, tells us that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And what that means is, is that there may be things that seem right or that work right for us, humanly speaking. Right? Rebecca thought that this was the right way to do it. This is what's going to work. This is the right way. Right? And from our limited perspective on things, we might be like, yep, that's correct. That works, right? But from an internal perspective, those things really just lead to destruction. That's what Proverbs 14.12 is saying. You need to quit looking at things from your limited human, earthly, worldly perspective and start looking at things from an eternal, godly perspective. What's the choice that you need to make? Right, a good example of this, of course, is the Respect of Marriage Act that's uh, now on its way to uh, the president's desk or on the president's desk now because it shamelessly passed both the House and the Senate because we have so many people who call themselves Christians yet don't uphold the faith who voted for this. Right? And it's morally wrong. Right? Marriage has been created and defined by God. Men cannot redefine it. I mean, obviously they have been, and they will continue to. But you and they'll, but and you can pass laws, and you can pass legislation, and you can pass all these different things. 
you know, to support things like this, but it's just futile and it's dangerous. From a human perspective, it may seem right. Whatever works, right? Yet from God's word is clear, right? God's word is clear on this matter. Marriage is a union between a biological man and a biological woman, and it's before God, and anything else is sin. God's word is clear. Yet the world says, well, that's not true. And they say that because truth is relative now. Truth is whatever they want to say it is. And they'll say, hey, if you want to believe it's true, it's true. But the thing we need to remember, of course, is that truth is not defined by our experience or our worldly wisdom. Right? Truth is defined by God and by God's word. And whether or not we like the outcome, whether or not we agree, whether or not we benefit from it, right right or wrong are only defined by God and by his word. And his word is unchanging and his word is eternal, which is why we need the word of God and why we need to know the word of God and why we need to continue to stand firm on the word of God. Because if we don't know this, then when the world comes to you and starts speaking to you and says, listen to my voice, You're going to be like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Because it sounds right, maybe. When it's wrong. What Rebecca should have done and what Jacob should have done as well was listen to the voice of the Lord. Right? They should have sought out the Lord and they should have gone to the Lord in prayer concerning these things. I mean, the Lord had already promised, as we've gone over, that Jacob was going to receive the blessing, that Esau would serve Jacob, that the older would serve the younger. The problem was that the only voices that they were listening to at this time were their own. They were only listening to their own voices. Matter of fact, Rebecca says twice in these verses that we read, she tells Jacob, obey my voice. Matter of fact, and then she says, only obey my voice. Right? As if you, if you hear any other voices, Jacob, telling you that maybe this isn't the right choice to make, don't listen to them. Only obey my voice, Jacob. Let's go trick Isaac into giving you the blessing. And with that, what she's doing is she's putting herself before God in the life of Jacob. Okay? I'm more important. Listen to me. Don't look up there. Right? Don't seek out the Lord on these things. Look over here. Look at me. Obey my voice. Right? Don't listen to any other voices. Just listen to mine. Matter of fact, she even says, because he's like, well, wait a minute, what what if we get caught? And instead of the blessing, I get the curse. She's like, let me accept the curse if there is any. Right? Follow my voice. Obey only my voice. My voice is the truth in these matters, Jacob. Only listen to me. It kind of rem- reminded me of the movie Bird Box, which is why I used Sandra Bullock picture up here on the thing. And I'm not going to go into the whole details of that movie. If you haven't watched it, I'm not necessarily going to tell you to. But, but they're, they're, they have to wear blindfolds to protect them from the evil. I won't get into the whole details. So she's wearing a blindfold and her kids are wearing the blindfold and she has to lead her kids. So she has to train them to recognize her voice amongst everything else that they hear. Right? And she, and she does, right? She's like, listen to me. Follow me. This is my voice. Follow my voice. She's blindfolded, they're blindfolded. The difference is, of course, is she's trying to lead her children to safety. 
right? She's trying to protect for her children. But what you have here with Rebecca, spiritually speaking, is that you have the blind leading the blind, right? And not in a good sense. I mean, if she was truly concerned about the safety of Jacob, then what she would have done is sought after the Lord. But Rebecca now, even though she could see fine, she didn't have any eyesight problems like Isaac did through her deception, she's spiritually blind. And now she was blinding Jacob to the truth. And they say, like, well, how was Rebecca, Rebecca blind? How was Rebecca spiritually, how did, you know, how did she get spiritually blind? Because in order to deceive, first you have to be deceived. And we know Satan is a deceiver. We're living in the times of the great deception. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's not a surprise that when the, when the disciples ask Jesus, hey, what are we supposed to be looking for concerning the, you know, the last days? One of the very first things Jesus said was, do not be deceived. Right? Do not be deceived. Now he's all he's you know in context there he's speaking about people coming to declaring that they're the false messiah, declaring that they're the messiah. Many people are going to come, right, and say that they're the messiah, but they're not, right. But also in the context of that, he's also saying many people you know you can apply that and say many people will come in my name, but they're not, right. So you you, you have to. You, can, you have to understand God's word and you have to understand God's voice so when you hear all the other voices you know what the true voice is. Who's truly, when God is truly speaking to you. Right? So Rebecca had become spiritually blind because she had been deceived. Right? And through her deception now she was blinding Jacob. And what was she deceived by? She was deceived by a false gospel. Right? And, she was, and she was now teaching this false gospel to her son. And what was it the gospel of? It was the gospel of self. Right? She wasn't following God's word. She was following self. What, she wanted to get this done because of how she felt. Because of her. Right? So many people today are being led astray by false gospels. Sometimes it's the gospel of self. Sometimes it's the gospel of of, you know, whatever. There's so many different false teachers and false gospels out there, even in, you know, Christian churches, even in the town of Snohomish. I don't know if you guys heard, but guess who's coming to town in April of next year? Right? Benny Hinn. Most people are like, Benny Hinn, I thought he was dead and gone by now. Right? No, a lot of people don't even realize Benny Hinn is, still has a ministry. Right? If you know who Benny Hinn is. Well, one of the local churches here in Snohomish is bringing Benny Hinn to town for Easter next year. And they're going to, they've rented out the, uh, the Angel of the Wings, whatever the thing's called in Everett, the big stadium thing. And uh, they're going to have an Easter service in the morning, and they're going to have a healing service in the evening with Benny Hinn. So last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, they made an announcement concerning bringing Benny Hinn in. Now, if you don't know who Benny Hinn is, I tell you to do your research, right? I got some movies you can watch if you'd like, American Gospel and, and, uh, and such. But, but Benny Hinn's a prosperity teacher. He teaches the prosperity gospel. It's a word of faith movement. I'm not going to get into all the details. But 
But if your church is bringing Benny Hinn in, and Benny Hinn is a false teacher, then you should probably be like, uh, why? Right? So this local church is bringing Benny Hinn in for a healing crusade. So last Sunday I found this out. So I went to their Facebook page. And I just made a comment <laughs> underneath the announcement. I just said, Benny Hinn is 100% a false teacher. And left it at that. And they deleted my comment. And then they blocked me from the page so I couldn't make any more comments. Now they let Julie make a comment and they never deleted her comment. She was maybe more polite than I was. But, um, so I'm like, okay, well I can play this game if you really want to. So I went to their Instagram page. I made a post on my own personal page, which was a little longer, which quite a few people responded to. And then I went to the Instagram page. And when I got to their Instagram page, they'd already blocked me before I got there. So I couldn't make any posts on their Instagram page. So I'm like, okay, fine. So I logged in under a different account. And then I went to their Instagram page and I made a longer post this time. And I said, Benny Hinn is a false teacher. He's a false healer. He spreads a false gospel. If a local church supports him and his false movement, then that church is spreading a false gospel as well. The word of faith movement is a false gospel. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Christians should be concerned about wolves like Benny and do their research. And they deleted that post and they blocked me <laughs> from the thing as well. And then I got messages the next day from people who go to church there. And they said, we're blocked from the page as well, because we asked questions also. Now, you know, I, I was making friends, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and to be fair, they, in a couple of days, they issued an apology about blocking everybody. They said that wasn't our intent. If you don't agree with us, we don't want to block you. We still want you to have a voice, you, you know. And, and I'm, they did unblock me. Right? To be fair. So, and their first apology said, I'm sorry, and their second one said, I'm not sorry. So he was sorry for blocking people that they, that they didn't want to quiet people's voice or concerns. But at the same time, they're not sorry for bringing Benny Hinn in. So, and they're not sorry for blocking people who were viciously mean. There were some, you know, really mean responses that didn't need to be um, up there. So, so I'm unblocked until I say something else. But and if you want to know what church this is, I'll tell you after the service. Because if you have any friends or family that go to this church, they should know. Um, you know, If you promote a false gospel and you promote a false teacher, one has to wonder about the church as well. But what was really worrisome to me was that I was reading the responses of the people who go to church there, and there was quite a few responses that said simply this, and I paraphrase, um, I know nothing about Benny Hinn. I don't know who he is. But I trust the pastor and I trust my church, so it must be okay. And that's, that's a worrisome comment, right? So that's why I was kind of getting up and posting things is because, no, this is, if you don't know anything about the person and people, immediately people are telling you, whoa, there's a problem here, you should probably do your research and look into it. You shouldn't just blindly accept what you're being told, right? Because... If the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit, as it says in Matthew 15. Right? The pastor of this church isn't planning on changing his mind. He was saved at a Benny Hinn uh, event way back when. 
He, actually, he's a young guy, so he's younger than me. So like, I don't know, maybe he's in his 30s. So he was saved at the Benny Hen thing back in the 90s, I think, maybe. And, uh, and so he has a, an emotional connection to Benny Hen. And uh, he's going to bring Benny Hen in. And he believes. Um, and he says, up front, he stated, I am not a, a prosperity preacher. We don't believe in the prosperity gospel. Never have, never will. And he says, I believe Benny Hinn has repented, and Benny Hinn no longer teaches this. The problem is, of course, Benny Hinn hasn't. Benny Hinn repeats once every, r- repents once every decade. Right? You can go back and you can look at Benny Hinn's history, and you can see he repented in the 80s, he repented in the 90s, he repented. You know, last time he repented was 2019, said he was turning away from the prosperity gospel. Go watch any of his videos that he's posted in the last month or two months. Go to the end of those videos and watch what he says towards the end as they're getting ready to sign off. He starts, he starts talking about sowing seeds, about planting a harvest. This is how he refers to financial giving to his ministry. If you sow seeds, you'll reap a harvest. He's telling them, and anybody who's going to listen and fall for it, that if you give financially to my ministry, you will be blessed by God. Matter of fact, he says, you will never have financial problems again if you give financially to my ministry. Matter of fact, he says, it's a way to prove that you love God is if you donate to my ministry. Matter of fact, he says, if you're having financial problems, well, that's because of sin. So if you give to my ministry, you can start being blessed again. Because those who don't have financial problems, it's probably because they give. None of what he says is true. Okay? None of what he says is true. So he hasn't, he hasn't turned away from anything. You know, he may be more discreet, if you want to call it that. He may choose his words more carefully now because of everything that he's been through for however many years that he's been out there frauding and deceiving people. Um, but he's still spreading a false message, right? It's a dangerous and it's a destructive message, right? You, th- here's, the, here's the truth. The blessings that God has for you have nothing to do with your giving, right? That's the truth. It has nothing to do with your financial giving, and they have everything to do with Jesus, right? God bless us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everyone, as it tells us in Ephesians 1, it's not based on your giving. It's not. So you need to read that, you need to remember that, you need to not forget that, and you can't be deceived. But if, if people don't know God's word, then they're going to take what's told to them. And they're going to accept it as truth. And that's wrong. That's how people are deceived. When people turn away from God's word, and they just accept what's being told to them. That, listen, Satan knows God's word as well as anybody and he knows how, to use it, knows how to use it to deceive people and to have them turn away from God's word. He's been questioning the truth of God's word, right, since the fall. Did God really say that? Right? So don't be deceived. Rebecca was deceived because she was following, in a sense, what you see the picture of Rebecca here is, is Rebecca's a picture of the, of the world here. Listening to their own wisdom instead of listening to God's wisdom. And with that, she was deceived, and then she turns around and she deceives Jacob. 
She gets Jacob to go along with her, right? And not only that, she gave Jacob all the tools that he needed to deceive Isaac. She had everything ready for him. So it's not just that she said, hey, Jacob, listen to my voice, only my voice. Let's do this. And then, but also, here are all the tools you need. Here's how you need to dress up. Here's what you need to put on. I'm going to make the meal for you. Here's the meal. Put it in your hands and go in and deceive your father. It's wicked. It's, it's sad. She was deceived because she had forgotten the word of God. She had forgotten the promises of God. And she was choosing scheming and deceiving over her faith. And when you try to manipulate God, you're self-deceived. Right? It tells us in Galatians 6, 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is, right, he is nothing. He deceives himself. So what we need to do is walk by faith. Right? We need to remember the word. We need to do the word. We need to continue in the word because that's what changes us and that's what sanctifies us and that's what helps us from deceiving ourselves. James 1.25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? So you hear the word of God. You don't forget it. You act on it. You apply it to your life and continue to grow in it. Because the word of God is, will always show us the truth. Faith is not blind. And we don't want to be blindly led astray by those who are blindly following themselves and their own self-gospel and their own false gospel. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18 say this, who is, wi- who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This picture we see here in James chapter 3, you can put Rebecca right in there. Even Jacob. Right? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, probably more selfish ambition than anything. Right? But that's not the wisdom that comes from God. That's what it just tells us. That's earthly, that's unspiritual, that's demonic. And where you have those things exist, where you have jealousy and selfish ambition exist, it says there'll be disorder in every vile practice, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing disorder in their, in their family, vile practices such as this deception and lying and everything that's going on. That does not come from above. That is not from the Lord. Rebecca is following the way of the world here. She wasn't listening to God, nor was she trusting in God's promises. She was deceived, and now she's a deceiver, deceiving Jacob and Isaac. For us, so we don't fall into these same traps, because we can all fall into these traps. What's the remedy? We just need to believe in God's promises. We need to believe in God's promises when the world is evil, even more so. Right? And when you feel overcome by the world, because it's easy to feel overcome by the world. What we need to remember is simply this. Jesus has overcome the world. Right? 1 John 5, 4-5 tells us, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. Our faith in Jesus will help us be overcomers. 
And we won't let things like this, like these deceive, like these deceptions and these lies, that we won't let them overcome us. We'll be overcome. We'll overcome them through Jesus. Right? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And Jesus himself said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in you you may have peace. In the world you may have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? There's going to be tribulation out there. There's, the world's evil. There's going to be more and more tribulation as, as we get closer. And Jesus said, be at peace. Have peace. Don't fear. Don't be ensnared by these things. Don't be deceived by these things. Don't be deceived and then turn around and be a deceiver and lead others astray because you've become blind now. No, stay focused on the Word of God. Stay focused on me. I have overcome the world, and through me you'll become an overcomer. Stay, right? That is the one who will overcome the world, is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So instead of listening to the deceiving voices of the world, just listen to the voice of Jesus. Right? Listen to God's Word. Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, right? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's a promise. That's a promise we need to remember as we continue to, you know, just live life. And Every day we attack these things from one way or another, and or these things are attacking us, right? And we just need to remember, listen, whose voice am I listening to? Well, if we can filter it all out and just hear the voice of Jesus, because he says, the sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. We just got to continue to follow Jesus. Right? We got to turn from being fearful to, to being faithful. Right? Hebrews 10.23 tells us, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Even in these times when it seems that life isn't fair, Jesus is faithful. So continue to hold fast to the confession of our hope in Christ. Hold fast to our faith. Just hold fast. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we can apply this and that we can grow from this and that we can just continue to stand firm on, on the word of God, stand firm in our faith in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given us, that nothing can separate us from your love, that, that, that we will be overcomers, right? That, that we can have peace even, even in the midst of, of tribulations. We just thank you for these things, Lord. We pray that we just continue to remember them, that we just continue to listen to your voice, to your still small voice, which means, Lord, that we just stay in the word and we stay in prayer and we filter out everything else so we can continue to follow you and follow your word. I thank you for this. I thank you for your great love and I pray, Lord, that we continue to be a light in the darkness. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.